Big D Entertainment, in association with Dipsy Doodle Productions, presents the Dave Holly Hour. Brought to you by TJS Ceramics, Posh Boutique in the Bridges at 57th, The Sky in T, XL Chiropractic, Quality Nails, Jesse Moffat Entertainment, and Sonny's Pizzeria. The Dave Holly Hour features Sioux Empire Arts and Entertainment Conversations. A true lover of arts, entertainment, good food and fun times, including an occasional Jack Daniels. Okay, so a few Jack Daniels. Here he is, Dave Holly. This week's show is a special edition as two great local podcasts come together. And it's also the first time the main segments were recorded in front of a live studio audience. I had the privilege of talking with actor slash author slash playwright slash podcaster Mo Hurley. She writes and produces Fear Falls. It's a suspense podcast she created and utilizes local talent to voice her shows. Then later in the show, it's a double feature of Fear Falls as we hear Emily Wilson, Marisa Moser, and Sean Shannon II perform Milwaukee Shadow Monster Volumes 1 and 2 back-to-back. Normally, this is where I would say, but first, let's pop the cork on this bubbly little show, and we'd have a sound effect, and then all this long stuff about getting ready for Weekend Eve, etc. But there's a sad thing to pass along this week. The Sioux Empire Arts and Entertainment community lost one of, if not the best performer and educator, Amy Morrison. Lost her decade-long battle with cancer Saturday morning, She and husband Matt were on this show twice. It's especially great this last time, which was just a couple months back. They had just played a couple on stage. Both said that acting with each other as husband and wife was the best time they'd had on stage. She passed away at the age of 51. Now, a few years ago, I decided to take voice lessons. Well, there was only one name on my list as to who to take them from. Amy was renowned for her ability to get the best out of everyone she taught. Hundreds, if not thousands, have expressed their sympathies to Matt and their kids Xander and Maya. Shortly after she passed, Matt sent a message to some of us. He said it best. While heartbroken, he was also grateful. We all miss her. We've cried. But we also celebrate the life of Amy Morrison. I don't want to use past tense when speaking of her. I like to think she's right alongside all of us that she had touched probably playing piano, cello, or bassoon, and smiling in polka dots. So yes, we do post Amy Morrison for everything she gave and will continue to give. Coming up next, a conversation with Mo Hurley, and later in the show, a Fear Falls doubleheader on the Dave Holly Hour. Check out the new ceramic studio in Sioux Falls, conveniently located off Kiwanis Avenue on 5th Street. TJS Ceramics. We have thousands of classic vintage ceramic mold items and several new items, too. TJS Ceramics offers classes through the Sioux Falls Community Education Program and special open studio nights every Thursday evening. Bisque, studio time, or finished custom items are available. Visit TJS Ceramics Studio in Sioux Falls today. Helping women feel empowered and confident is what Posh Boutique at the Bridges at 57th does while supplying high quality clothing that fits your lifestyle, personality, and price point. Whether you want comfy and cozy, casual attire, or something for a special occasion, 
Posh provides quality, selection, and value. They carry sizes extra small to 3X and have something appropriate for any age. Feel empowered and get confident. Posh Boutique at the Bridges at 57th. Ladies, when it's time to give your nails some love, get that extra special treatment from Quality Nails on South Minnesota Avenue in Sioux Falls. Manicures and pedicures that look great and make you feel fantastic. Zaya and Tony provide professional care for your hands and feet, whether you just want the basics or an extra special look with added flair. Oh, and guys, it's okay to treat yourself too. Quality Nails. Call for an appointment. 605-334-1463. Arts and entertainment lovers, you hit the mark. It's the Dave Holly Hour. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, you know what I love to say. It is always a pleasure to talk Sioux Empire Arts and Entertainment. And we are doing something special this time around for sure. She's been on the show a few times before, but we've never had a live audience for our recording of the Dave Holly Hour. And we do here at Corson, the mighty Corson art players, hear it. I want to see. Yeah. They respond. If only they downloaded that much, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Of course, it's a special day because we're here and we're doing something different. And I was telling people, I said, what this really is, is it's going to be two great local podcasts coming together for the same show. Mo Hurley, great to have you as always because you are such an, a, a wonderful person to begin with. You. Yes, and, and it's just always nice to be around you, and I know that uh, when it comes to talent, you certainly have it. You are an actor, you are an author, you are a playwright, and you are also a podcaster. Yes. Any, anything, <laughs> any, anything we missed? <laughs> no. We, we got it all? That's great. Okay, yeah. well, we're, we're glad that you're all of those because you do them all very well. Okay. And uh, so let's talk about what we're going to have on the second half today. Sure. So first of all, Fear Falls, how did it come about? Yes, so Fear Falls is a spooky story, Midwest-based podcast, um, and it really got going during COVID. I was trying to think of a way to do something audio-based that we could keep distance and still do fun theater projects, still be in that performance art world. Um, and I like writing too, and so it seemed like a good fit to be able to write scary stories and still meet up with people, and, um, and it's kind of a smaller, smaller base you don't have a large cast it's one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one, so a lot easier schedule wise just to link up with one one friend at a time and that kind of is how it got rolling a little bit after halloween and um well i guess 2021 so covid so you're, was you're coming up on two years then <laughs> yes yeah. oh wow that's great and, and uh, it's it's always a fun thing to listen because people that know you first of all when they only know the really great sweet side of Mo, <laughs> they kind of go, she wrote that? <laughs> but then the people that do know you and know that you like to write that stuff are like, wow, isn't she great? Well, and so you, you get accolades all the time. Well, I just have super supportive friends, this whole community, everyone who came out today, um, they're just very supportive and encouraging. So it's been nice 
everyone being willing to be a part of it or to support it by marketing or or listening mm -hmm. in. Um, so yeah, that speaks more to them than so, to the stories, but I all appreciate right. it. So, so we talked about the beginning of the podcast itself, but how about the beginning of when Mo decided, uh, you know what, I'm going to write some scary stuff. How did that come about? That was a little more, that was a long time coming. Um, I like writing in general, and I like reading kind of gently spooky genres, so <laughs> not too scary, like a little bit tamer than Stephen King. Um, <laughs> kind of in the vein of R.L. Stein, Goosebumps. I didn't fully uh. grow out of that. Um, and so I just enjoyed writing that, just messing around with it. Um, and I wrote um, a short one-act play that had kind of a spooky story um, backstory within it, just a subplot. Um, and that was the most fun part to write. And so I thought that'd be neat to expand that and just write the actual monster stories mm -hmm. as, as their own thing. Um, and just got rolling with it that way. All right, so I, I have to know, Gentle Spooky, does it have a separate aisle in Barnes & Noble? <laughs> it should. Okay. It, <laughs> I don't think I've ever used that phrase before. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, kind of tamer, where it's more suspenseful, it's not straight horror, mm -hmm. um, just you get a little chill, a little spooky spook here and so there. Do you, do you <laughs> Have you used that phrase before? Uh, a little spooky maybe. spook. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, so tell me, in terms of uh, your writing style, mm -hmm. uh, what does it take to come up with a new story? Um, most of these that I've done so far have been um, based on an idea, so I'll have an image of something. A couple were based on the creature first. I'd have a really sharp image of um, when I did this winter with uh, Clinton's store. It was a neon prowler, and mm -hmm. so that was an electric werewolf, and I just liked the idea of that, and I pictured it in kind of a neon fluorescent lit grocery store, and so that was kind of the seed of that whole story, um, and so I'll just work from there trying to find little ways to make it suspenseful and little red herrings, but for the most part, it starts with, with an idea and trying to veer so it's not super specific to actual monsters like the, the Yeti or Chupacabra where it's kind of a spin on each one. Um, well, I, I have seen uh, uh, several of Clinton's suits and uh, they are electric. That yeah, true, so yeah. I, that, was a, that image had to come to you quickly then. It didn't did. It? He's a yeah. vibrant dresser. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about it. So I tell you, one of the great things that I love about the arts and entertainment community around here is the vast number of people that we have that have such great talent. Yes. So you pretty well have like an unlimited pool to choose from for these. I honestly do. And people, I have a list of people who said they'd be willing to help me out with it, that they do a voice. So I have the next several lined up too. I've been super lucky with people being willing to, to take part in it. Um, and not just to voice something, but to listen to them and to share the episodes. So I've, I've lucked out with that. But yeah, it's all... Just super generous. You know the community. Yeah, Everyone's and, and more than willing to And to always a collaborative, too. Yes. You know, that's, that's one of the words we like to use about it is uh, so many people. I mean, here we are in Corson, and, and we look out into the audience and look at who we see uh, from different theater groups and uh, different genres of art as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just wonderful that uh, everybody wants to take the time and support everybody. I know. We it are very lucky. It honestly is. 
Of course. Yeah. Uh, so you start Fear Falls. You've got a play that uh, was produced in, as part of Premier Premieres mm-hmm. last year. And so you're kind of on a roll, uh, and you say you have uh, how many stories in the hopper right now then that are waiting? I have a couple loose ideas. I okay. have more so kind of speakers lined up, but um, I'd have two or three ideas brewing where I want to go with it um, or ways to collaborate with different groups coming up. Um, this is going to be a fun test run of doing it live, so maybe we'll switch from every other month mm-hmm. audio story to one or two a season doing a, a live production, we'll kind of see. But yeah, a couple ideas rolling around. So do these I- ideas ever uh, hit you when you're sleeping? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you startle awake? <laughs> I do a rollover and I have a note, note apps that I just... <laughs> Right, yes, there's oh, yeah. where you have your next novel is from the notes from the bedside. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> that could be the that could be the name of it. I like it. Yeah, yeah notes from catchy. the bedside. <laughs> well, so these ideas that you get are uh, just marvelous, and that we've heard them and seen them played out, uh, as well as you know listening to your podcast, but also seeing uh, when you've had your world premiere. And what kind of a feeling is it for you? when you see how many people are downloading and listening and uh, great response when, you, when you've done something live. It's exciting. Yeah. It really is. Um, it's something where it's fun and it's fulfilling on its own. It's its whole process and it's so much fun to put together. Um, but then to be able to share it, that's the ultimate part of storytelling is that you're sharing it in the end. So it's super fulfilling. And yeah. What do people tell you about your stories? Um, <laughs> what kind just, of feedback do they you just get? say it was spooky or something unexpected um, yeah they're just more than anything supportive again maybe thinking um, that I'm a little bit darker than they knew <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but just oh yeah overwhelming support that's and awesome and uh, you are so great when it comes to uh, everything that you do but uh, so let's go back what came first did you do some writing or did you do some acting first Oh, um, writing's always been kind of my bag through school. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite thing, favorite subject. is very English-based. Um, but I did plays as a child, too, here and there. Um, so I think I, I couldn't say which came first. Um, mm-hmm. Community theater-wise, so after school, did a play here and there. I was definitely doing more writing just on my own than theater. Um, and then they kind of got neck and neck and... It's been fun to explore both of them. Um, I never considered doing anything outside of acting until um, you get to talking to different mentors in the performance arts world and they give you that opportunity to try um, just being on a stage crew or directing or writing a piece. Um, And so that's super lucky, I think, that we have that opportunity to try on a hat just Mm. for a single show, see if it's something we might want to explore more. And that's kind of been what this last year has been, just trying different different roles out. So that's been a really fun time. So this is actually, uh, you're going to be doing two stories. Yes. This afternoon, correct? Yes. All so right. And volume one and volume two of? Of the Milwaukee Shadow Monster. Mm. And <laughs> so the first one we did last winter, um, Alexandra Thong Van read that. Um, and it was 
that was a fun one to do, and that of all of the stories, um, I kind of had the image that there is a little bit more to tell with that, and not necessarily what came next, because a lot of stories, I try to end with a tiny cliffhanger or a little twist, but that one I was left wondering more, how did this story come to be, what came before this? And so that'll be volume two, so that'll be all new live today. Um, and I know a lot of people here have not heard the first one yet either, so that'll be new for, for the right. group too. So it'll be a good, a good mix, I think. All right, so what's different in the sequel then? Um, the sequel, yeah. we, we kind of make it a prequel, so it's the making of the okay. monster. So it's a little oh, bit the what went into the mind and the person who created the monster in the original story. So you're, you're thinking like Spielberg right now, huh? You know, yes. let's, let's start something, <laughs> then the next one, well, you know, let's do about 20 of them and oh, put them yeah. in a way different order. You, that's, <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think from here on out, I'll try to do mostly standalone original ones, but this one I thought, oh, this, this would be fun to play that, with. This one that grabbed you that uh, said, yeah. I got to do more on this one. I uh, think so. Okay. Uh, and you've got, uh, speaking of local talent, you've got uh, three fantastic yes. Uh, yeah, actors involved absolutely. in this today. Tell us a little bit about uh, what they're going to be doing. Sure. How it's going to come about uh, so that we get, uh, and, and you know, one of the things I love about this is I'm a, you know, I was originally in radio for a long time, mm -hmm. and I love old-fashioned radio, and oh, yeah. this makes me think, you know, the old radio dramas and plays and so forth, and I, yeah. I like that whole uh, aspect of it, and I, I do know one thing. You're going to be doing all your own sound effects, huh? Yes. We'll Made my job really yeah. easy. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Less technical pieces to yeah. it. We're going to gonna give, give a shot at the live sound effects. But um, the stories are very much narrative. So um, in this first story, we'll have Marisa Moser. She'll be narrating, the main storyteller. And then Sean Shannon, the second. And uh, Emily Wilson will be voicing it and making the sound effects. Um, and then in the second story, the prequel, uh, Emily Wilson will be our narrator, and we'll have Marisa Moser and Sean Shannon doing the voices and the sound effects. Um, and so it's a little bit less dialogue than most radio plays and plays mm -hmm. in general. Um, I have discovered that that is um, an area of growth for me. <laughs> so this way it can be more, <laughs> more just, yeah, narrative, fictional storytelling, and then a little line of dialogue here and there thrown in. Have you been with them during rehearsals? We have had kind of sparse rehearsals. Mm -hmm. I know they're pros. They're they're running through it right now downstairs, <laughs> and so <laughs> so it'll be fun. Yeah, they all had highlighters <laughs> out earlier. They did, yeah. yeah. They're they are pros, so it's going to be a fun. Was it easy to process. cast them? when you said, hey, we're going to do this thing live, and I, I need a few people to, to be doing the dialogue as well as the narrative. It really was. Not only are they um, super talented and they're ready, ready for anything performance-wise, but they've all been just super supportive friends, and so I knew that they'd, um, they'd be willing to lend a hand to, to be involved with this, and so it was a very easy choice. All right, and we are so lucky that it is uh, in a, a fun little theater here in Corson. Uh, I always love, uh, you know, small places, the intimacy that you get, and uh, especially I, I think that uh, the format and the way that you write and, and podcast is going to lend itself very well to that today. I think so. I couldn't imagine a better fit. That Brian Shipper approached me about it, and I thought, yes, let's try <laughs> it. Let's do a live show. 
and the team here has been so great getting it set up, everything painted, um, getting everything set to, to give it a go. So it's been an absolute perfect arrangement. Yeah, when he, when he told me that uh, this was going to be done, um, he says, well, I'd, I'd really like to do a live recording on your podcast with it, too. And I said, oh, let me think about it. Okay, sure. You know, one, of, one of those quick things, because it's like, who doesn't love Mo? <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, so uh, aside from all of this excitement, uh, you also happen to work in the media. I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you're with uh, Dakota News Now. Yes. And what is your uh, job title and, and what uh, do you have to do there? So I'm a web producer. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit of... Uh, writing, a little editing, um, cutting video, getting our broadcasts that are on TV onto the web and staying on top of social media. So getting to do a little bit of everything in that position. Yeah. Um, it's been fun. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's great because so much of what you're doing then for your job is a lot like what you're doing for a podcast. It really is. It all kind of informs everything mm -hmm. else. So that's been nice. It's sharpening me up in different areas. But she didn't want to take advantage of her position. Because last, uh, last week I said, hey, you know, with our big show coming up, you want to see if the morning crew can have us on or something? And she says, no, they're tired of me already telling them to put so much theater stuff on. Yeah. <laughs> I do get some grief for the staff there. They say, is this you? You got another theater troupe coming in? Did you arrange this? I'm like, I didn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> What makes you want to keep going in the genre of a uh, uh, spooky, suspenseful podcast? It's just a lot of opportunity. Yeah. I think I just love storytelling in general, and I think it's a fun, especially if you do um, radio play format. Mm -hmm. You can do so much that would be difficult to stage or do in any other medium. Um, and I just, I always enjoy consuming it, and it's fun get little ideas that come to me are usually just spooky suspenseful story ideas so and mainly the community too so people who are willing to be a part of it so you've got uh, a couple more in the hopper yeah. or at least ideas you said yes any uh spilling of the beans today um so when i say general idea super not a real plot line but one is a house party and there's some kind of amphibian creature in the greenhouse. So that is... <laughs> I'm just thinking of who's going to play the part. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Spooky amphibian. So, yes. I just like mm -hmm. that setting and mm -hmm. someone clearing dishes or refilling their drink in the kitchen and they spot something outside. Um, so that's all the further I've that's, gotten. Okay, <laughs> and, and, and we'll let you by with that because we know no matter what, it's going to be fun, it's going to be enjoyable to listen to, and also keep us on the edge of our seats a little bit. I hope so. Okay. Uh, what are you hoping that uh, happens with Fear Falls? I mean, you've got so much going on. You know, uh, you know when you start, at least when I started my podcast the uh, first day, uh, I had 25 downloads, and I was like, oh, wow. It's cool and so forth. And then episode two, I had Bob Wendland on as a guest. Oh, and when he no shared contest. He, he, <laughs> when he shared that, uh, he hashtagged every single person that he had mentioned during the interview. Oh. And I had like 76 in the first hour. Nice. <laughs> so, but, it, but it's interesting to watch because, you know, here we are. This is episode number 192. And this week, yet another person will download episode number one. 
You know, so the, the right. podcasts are, are long living, and, and so much of yours are individual, not uh, this mm -hmm. is your rarity uh, that you're throwing at us today, right. um, that they can be set alone. So if somebody misses one, they don't have to go necessarily right. in order, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and are, you, are you finding that, too, that uh, people will come up to you and say, hey, you know, that uh, one that you did, uh, you know, a couple months back? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Someone will mention a title um, or uh, just watching the analytics. Mm -hmm. I'll have 18 listens to my second episode yeah um, so that's fun just well that, that's great you know <laughs> yeah. because it, it, it's like a good book then you know it, it's going to stay there it, it's permanent and the people can in another year while you're on episode <laughs> 100 something by then right. then uh everybody can go back oh i wonder what this is all about i hope yeah. so that's and we'll see kind of going forward if we want to follow the midtown coffee radio routes mm -hmm. where you do the live productions that was a really a neat switch that you made so we might we'll try it today see how it goes um so that's a possibility i do have kind of a desire to make it into a comic book um i cannot draw so finding an illustrator <laughs> for that <laughs> um but we'll see i'm excited i have some ideas you know there are plenty of those out in our art world here too <laughs> <laughs> okay, <true. laughs> right mo hurley everybody uh, let's hear it for her <laughs> Always, always an absolute pleasure talking with you. And can't wait to see Fear Falls Volumes 1 and 2. Let's do it. Ooh, all right. Thank you, Mo. Appreciate Thank you. it. And we'll be back with those presented live here at Corson in just a moment. Comedy magician and hypnotist Jesse Moffitt's right. He can't play the piano, but he can sure entertain crowds with his amazing magic and clever quips. His shows always make the participants the stars, especially when they've fallen asleep on stage. Uh, I mean, they've been hypnotized. Are you the party planner in your group? Then you owe it to your group to make the event magical, even if it puts you to sleep. Here's how. For booking information, go to Jesse Moffat Entertainment on Facebook. That's J-E-S-S-E. M-O-F-F-I-T-T -T, or call 605-929-0964. Dr. Perry Langston and Dr. Corey Tooney know excellence is in you. That's why they provide you with excellent care at XL Chiropractic, improving your overall health in spirit, body, mind, and will. Get results the natural way. Arrange a consultation, 605-332-9235 or exocairos.com. Excellent care for excellent people. Excel Chiropractic, located at 4309 South Racket Drive in Sioux Falls. Good evening, listeners. It's time to settle in for another chilling story of suburban suspense. From the slumbering heads of Mount Rushmore to the twin and windy cities, from the unseen depths of the Great Lakes to the rustling rusts of cornfields across the heartland, who knows what ghouls and crawling creatures lurk among us under the Midwest moon. Every rooftop and coffee shop is suspect here on Fear Falls Radio Theater. Comic books had never meant summer for Sam, 
Like most who think of comics in the same vein as baseball games and snow cones, red and blue like 3D glasses, and the popcorn and pop of mid-July movies, no, comics would always be a winter treat. A fresh stack of issues unwrapped at Christmas, waiting to be poured over from a cocoon of blankets and pillows while a bitter wind tantrums outside. Having already exhausted her gifted books, a Frankenstein graphic novel, and the most recent issue in the new run of The Flash, Sam bundled up to walk to the comic book store in search of something different. Sam felt in the comic shop how she imagined her empty nest uncle felt at the counter of his favorite diner, immediately cheered and a little less alone. Even when she wasn't looking to buy anything, Sam found comfort in the tiers of glossy covers, all the color and action and villains and thrills. A cardboard cutout of Venom stood at the center of the store's back wall, dividing the shelves into two sections, new releases and novelty titles. The novelty comics were a mix of special issues, gimmicks tied to promotional events, the works by regional writers and artists, Sam browsed one comic that featured Hanukkah in Central City and flipped another titled The Midwest Mariner. The illustrations impressed her, black and blue images with the look of woodcut prints, but the nautical theme didn't interest her and she carefully reshelved it. She started to move on to another section when a flash of gold winked in her periphery. Just below eye level and tucked Halfway behind another book shone a unique, handmade-looking comic, The Milwaukee Shadow Monster. The title was gold-foiled, and the cover featured a shadowy figure backlit by a bright light. Sam opened to the first pages and saw it published by a local printing press, though no author or illustrator was listed. An employee stalking the shelf behind Sam noticed her interest. That's a fun one. The man paused from his work and smiled, nodding toward the book. He explained how the comic's gimmick was that secret messages and bonus images appeared on pages when you shone a light on them. A tiny flashlight was attached to the book, dangling from the spine on a string. The employee told Sam how a lot of customers flipped through that book, testing out the flashlight on the blank pages, but... No one had been interested enough to buy it. He suspected it was because a couple of the pivotal pages did not respond to the light. It could be the age of our copy, or maybe a printing error. It's a neat idea, anyway. Sam agreed. This was exactly what she was looking for. She headed to the register, picking out a holographic sticker of the Green Goblin, and grabbing a pack of Grape Big League Chew from the front counter. I hope you enjoy the story. The employee slid the comic into a slim paper bag with her gum and sticker. Though she had space for the bag in her backpack, Sam chose to carry it instead, gently crumpling the top of the paper to hear its satisfying crinkle as she walked home. Once back in her bungalow of solitude, Sam slipped the comic book out of the bag onto her bed. She pulled off her tennis shoes and climbed under her comforter. She couldn't think of a better way to spend her last day of holiday break than escaping into a new story. Within moments, Sam was in lockstep with the heroine as she investigated a band of shadow creatures who had infiltrated her quiet suburban neighborhood. 
Every several pages came a blank page or a blacked out pane requiring Sam to use the flashlight to reveal a speech bubble or hidden image, the words and drawings blossoming like faint neon tattoos. Halfway through the story, Sam ran into what the comic shop employee had mentioned. Shining the light on the climactic page was supposed to reveal the villain, but nothing happened. The heroine reeled, frozen in fear by whatever she saw in that black expanse, with one arm raised protectively in front of her and her face wrenched away from... What? What was it? Sam tried pointing the flashlight from different angles and ran her fingers over the inky shadow on the page. Nothing. She held the flashlight closer to the page, steady as though sweeping a black sand beach. With a mini metal detector, Sam ran the flashlight back and forth across the darkness, all while keeping the lens of the flashlight flush with the page. Now and then, Sam thought she saw the ghostly silhouette of a form appear, a face or a lurching torso, but she would blink and lose the image in an instant. Night fell on Sam's attempts, and she set the book aside, bleary-eyed, determined to continue her efforts tomorrow. The next day, Sam took the comic book to school and worked to reveal the villain during passing periods between classes. Her friend Chase tried to help, offering suggestions like warming the page with her hand or dabbing it with lemon juice. The first had no effect, and Sam feared the second would just dampen and wrinkle the page. Uh, maybe you need a brighter light. The flashlight is cool, but maybe it's more of a novelty. You should try shining something stronger. That gave Sam an idea. After school, she rushed home and headed straight for the garage. Her dad had a workshop set up along the side wall where he fixed appliances and restored old radios. Telescoping from the wall was a megawatt light on an accordion arm that could be adjusted to shine down on the workspace from any angle. Sam pulled out the comic and held it open on the table. With mittened hands, she powered on the light and swung it low over the stubborn page. Nothing happened for several moments. Sam was about to call it quits when suddenly the light flared blindingly bright and a rush of air tore through the garage like a hurricane wind through a tunnel. The pages of the book flapped violently in the gale as a dark shape lifted from the page almost like a black vapor and floated up toward the light before vanishing. In an instant, the work lamp's bulb burst leaving Sam gasping in the sudden pitch darkness. The wind abated as quickly as it kicked up, replaced by a ringing silence. The shape that rose from the book had looked to Sam strangely, impossibly, human. A loud knock jolted Sam from her shock. Her mother called from the kitchen, just on the other side of a garage door. Don't forget you're watching Miles tonight. Sam let out the breath she'd been holding and untensed her shoulders. Whatever had just happened must have been imagined, surely. She did this sometimes, got too invested in a story and slipped the slightest bit into a comic's fantasy. The wind and shattered light bulb were harder to explain. Maybe poor insulation and freezing temps could be blamed for both but she would have to sort it out later. She felt her way to the door and headed inside to gather her things before making her way across the street to watch the neighbor's son, Miles. 
Sam loved babysitting for the same reason she loved comics. She got to indulge in her love for storytelling, for magic and make-believe. Where her classmates were fully invested in personal romances and social media trends, the kids Sam babysat were just beginning to discover the thrill of ghost stories read by flashlight and battles in tunnel forts. Miles was especially fun to babysit. He had a whole arsenal of Nerf guns and super soakers, and he was always ready for a science experiment or dance competition. Tonight, Sam polished rocks with Miles, and the two took turns drawing each other's portraits. As dusk approached, they ordered a pizza and threw snowballs in the driveway until the delivery man arrived. The whole night, despite Miles' diversion, Sam's thoughts flitted back to the incident in the garage and to the comic in her book bag. After eating and writing a list of rules for a new board game they invented, Sam led Miles up to his room to go to sleep. Adventurous and mature as he was, Miles was ever every bit his age when it came to his fear of the dark. Sam loved that about him. She left the bedroom door ajar to let the hall light in and turned on the nightlight beside Miles' bed, a slowly spinning menagerie of robots and rockets that cast their traveling shadows across the room. The parade of silhouettes circled the walls long and distorted on the far wall and crumpled as they passed over the curtains above the bed. After two bedtime stories and the promise of pizza for breakfast, Miles drifted off and Sam retreated to her biology homework downstairs. Twenty minutes later, as Sam was nearing the halfway point of her assignment, a scream shot through the house's sleepy silence. Ah! Miles! Sam rushed upstairs and pushed into his room. Hey, what is it? She moved to sit beside him. He was breathing heavily, a sheen of sweat across his forehead. He said nothing, staring wide-eyed at the wall ahead. Sam followed his gaze over her shoulder and froze. There, above Miles' dresser, on the far wall, was the profile of the shadow monster from the comic. His curved shoulders and round nose stood out against the sharp, geometric shadows of the nightlight. His silhouette remained motionless as the robots and astronauts continued their lazy loop around the room until suddenly the shadow creature lurched in the opposite direction of the nightlight, arms raised as it lunged towards the bed. Sam, Sam shrieked <coughs> and gathered Miles in her arms. She lifted him up, taking an armful of comforter with him and bolted for the stairs. Sam hurried down the steps, tripping repeatedly over the bulky bedding wrapped around Miles. When the two reached the ground floor, she flipped on the living room's overhead light and sat beside Miles on the couch, her arms circling his trembling shoulders. They sat huddled like that for over an hour, fully alert, until Miles' parents got home. Sam apologized for Miles being awake, but she didn't say a word about what had happened. What could she say? Was it possible for two people to share a hallucination? Anyway, she knew Miles would be safe with his parents' home. She quickly packed up her homework, being careful not to touch the comic in the front pocket of her bag, and hurried home. Rehearsals for the winter play started back up the next day after school, and Sam was grateful for the distraction. 
Sam and her classmates had reached Tech Week for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the final week before an audience where sound effects, costume, and makeup were added, and the last pieces of the set were finished. The frantic pace of the show and backstage chaos worked well to occupy Sam's mind, making it easier to forget the shadow creature for a time. When the final dress rehearsal for the play arrived, Sam felt that familiar mix of adrenaline and excited nerves. As the narrator, Sam spent the entirety of the play on stage, which allowed her to see all the show's special effects up close. The play featured floating jack-o'-lanterns and an air cannon that shot orange glow-in-the-dark confetti at the audience when a pumpkin exploded. <laughs> the most impressive effect was a towering silhouette of the headless horseman, pumpkin head held high. Even knowing that the horse was paper mache and the head a prop from a Halloween shop, Sam felt a thrill at the eerie effect. Tonight, Sam had just started narrating that climactic scene in the story where when she turned back and noticed something different about the backdrop. Two shadows loomed large across the black scrim. Two shadows where only one should be. There, Beside the silhouette of the headless horseman, astride his horse, crept the slender creature from Sam's nightmares, the Milwaukee shadow monster. Look out! Sam shouted before scrambling through the masking curtains to rush backstage. In the light of blue safety lamps, she hurried toward the scrim, just in time to see the shadow monster's silhouette ripple across the flats painted with trees, disappearing into the wings. Before the director or her castmates knew what had happened, Sam powered on all of the high-intensity work lights, flooding the backstage with their intense beams. Amid the murmurs of confusion and the surprised whispers what? between actors and stage crew, Sam caught Chase's eye. He wore a shocked expression of someone truly terrified. It was far more honest fear than he'd ever managed as Ichabod. Did you? I saw it. Wait, what was that? From my comic. Chase took a moment to process this oblivious to the stares of the cast surrounding him. What do we do? Sam shook her head at a loss. How is the villain defeated in the comic? Sam stammered out all she could recall from the comic story, how the heroine had realized that shadows need light to survive, so to escape the creature, she needed to, counterintuitively, seek out the dark, to turn off all the lights when she was most frightened. But we're not trying to escape it. We want to catch it, right? Okay, so then we do the exact opposite. It occurred to Sam that the creature seemed to be attracted to bright lights in otherwise dark spaces. First in the garage, then Miles' nightlight, and then the spotlights on stage. Once they created those conditions and lured the monster, they'd need something small and contained to hold it. The heroine in the comic had used something called a shadow box. Surely they could find something similar in the school. Sam's mind raced through ideas like a child swirling a spinner rack. I've got it. Sam grabbed Chase by the wrist and led him out into the hallway. The fine and performing arts all lived in one wing of the school, the band and chorus rooms beside the art studios, all next to the auditorium, and across from that, the little theater, a small and... 
stage and several rows of seats that served as a classroom for speech and drama classes. The back wall was lined with dozens of miniature sets built by play production students. These model stages, created out of foam board and furnished with miniature set pieces, mimicked the sets of famous plays and musicals. Sam scanned the collection quickly until she found the one she was looking for. Wendy's bedroom in Peter Pan. Sam pulled it down and put it on the lip of the stage before instructing Chase to turn off the classroom's fluorescent lights. Sam's friend Dominic had built this model last year, and Sam remembered how he'd used high-beam laser pointers to cast stark shadows across Wendy's room. She recalled how searingly bright the lights had been, making the model glow from their concentrated beams. Sam found the switch that powered the miniature lights and turned it on. The dusty display lit up like a marquee. Within moments, just as in the garage, a sourceless wind whipped up around Sam and Chase. In that instant, the two friends spotted the black shadow monster floating across the classroom ceiling. The monster's vapory form tore away from the ceiling and traveled haltingly down to, toward the model, its limbs scrambling wildly as if trying to escape an unseen pull. Then, all at once, the dark shape seemed to funnel into a miniature set, vanishing as the laser lights blinked out. Immediately, the wind died, and Sam and Chase panted in the dark and sudden quiet. All night, Sam and Chase guarded the model set, taking t turns watching it as the other slept. The next morning, they tried to find the publishing house printed in the comic book, but the press was clearly defunct. All they found at its address was a run-down office space, its windows semi-boarded up and inside a single desk littered with dusty stacks of papers and binders. Plan B, Sam and Chase hurried to the comic book shop with the model set. Breathless, they placed it on the front counter along with the Milwaukee Shadow Monster comic and looked around the store for an employee. Making a return? Was it too tame for you? A voice called out from the stockroom. Sam and Chase spun around. In the doorway to the back room appeared the silhouette of the man who had sold Sam the book, his slim shadow midnight black and backlit, the twin image to the Milwaukee Shadow Monster cover. I should have recommended the prequel instead. I think it's my stronger story. You'll like it. The Shadow Monster puts up more of a fight. Henry never meant to make a monster. It seems irresponsible to say now. Wasn't that always the case? But for Henry, it was true. He didn't set out to hurt anyone. He had only ever needed somewhere to put the pain. You can't act back how you've been hurt. That's how Henry's mom put it once when he was little and she was driving him home from another meeting with the principal. The car was quiet, and Henry was hurting, and everything felt too much. She had said it lovingly, but the disappointment in her voice doubled Henry's pain. His cheeks burned, thinking of the red X his teacher wrote by his name on the board. More painful was the overheard phone call with his mom. Henry is so bright. It's such a shame to see him waste his potential. When grief hit Henry at that age, his chest felt empty, 
and too full at the same time. Later, as a teenager, his hurt turned harsh, tugging at his gut, sharp-edged and unwieldy. A well-meaning guidance counselor encouraged Henry to express his grief creatively. He couldn't sing or afford to play any instruments, but he could write. The first writing Henry shared with his counselor was in the form of a comic story told through a black silhouette with sharp facial features. Part dream and part memory of a man Henry had seen on a trip as a little boy. The sight of the shadowy man had stopped Henry dead in the middle of the road. His mom had to double back, rushing into the traffic to scoop him up when she had noticed he'd frozen. Something about the man's silhouette stuck with Henry and seemed the natural way to express hard feelings now as a teenager. Henry had named him the Milwaukee Shadow Monster, and he was the perfect escape. The shadow man could blend in, slinking in the dark, flitting from page to page completely unseen. The shadow man isn't a reflection of Henry, his counselor told his mom when they met to discuss his writing. Henry's journal's pages spread out between them. I think the shadows are all the feelings that are too overwhelming for him to understand right now. Despite its name, the monster in Henry's story wasn't a monster at all. Not at first. He didn't even directly interact with anyone. The shadow was protection more than threat. He lurked in the alleys and the empty spaces to retreat, not intimidate. Early versions of the comic were rough sketches in a composition notebook before Henry graduated to a flipbook with thick pages and guides for panels. His illustrations were simple, the best that he could manage, but the shadows told the story. Over the time, the comics grew from a pastime into a passion, a sounding board and a companion for Henry when he felt he had neither. In college, Henry's dorm became a dark room where he processed his thoughts like film and hung pages like pictures on strings strung above his bed. Once his roommate got over the intensity and the peculiarity of Henry's hobby, he was curious and asked to read the comics. Henry resisted at first. These stories were his therapy and he felt too personal to share. Eventually, though, his roommate's persistence eclip eclipsed his protest and the comics floored him. Henry's roommate pressed him to print the comics as paper book issues so that others could read his work. Again, Henry hesitated, but again, his roommate won out. The two used the dorm's computer lab to print off the series and left short stacks of the comics around campus and the bars and cafes near the school. They even slid some of the slimmer volumes into, into new releases at the comic book shop when the clerk was turned away. Henry appreciated his roommate's support and trusted his thoughts on ways to tweak the stories. More description or quicker scene setting. All of it took Henry, but one suggestion gave him pause. You should make the shadow figure more menacing. His roommate argued that to really hook the readers, the stories needed an edge. He's creepy and alluring, but there's no threat there. His roommate said one night, one night over takeout. Sticky carry boxes littered the coffee table between them, and he lifted Henry's latest comic, flipping to the final panel. When he has the girl trapped here, nothing happens. She escapes without a fight. I don't know, it feels like a whole lot of suspense and no payoff. It's safe. That was the point, Henry thought. Build a world where there's nothing real at stake. The stories were meant to be a release, not added stress. How could his roommate not understand this? Henry kept his frustration to himself, 
but he was still stewing on his roommate's words later that night when he headed across campus to a house party, an agreement he had made with his mom that year. You don't have to start a single conversation, but you need to go to things, at least be open to meeting people. Henry could hear the party's music from a block away, and the, and the moment he stepped inside, the crowd pressed onto him. His only thought was to get as far away from the stereo as possible, sidestepping through the packed hallway toward the back of the house. Not long after retreating into the kitchen, a classmate from Henry's civics lecture spotted him. She slunk up while his back was turned and grabbed his shoulders behind to surprise him. Henry startled, sloshing the drink down a sweater and knocking over a stack of plastic cups. Sorry, I spooked you. She picked up the cups and handed Henry a fistful of napkins for his shirt. I'm Keely. Henry nodded. The girl asked if he was the mind behind the comics scattered all over the school. Henry didn't respond. She pressed. I've seen you doodle the monster in class, and you have the same initials as the author. Henry was quiet mentally recounting the most vulnerable storylines and suddenly feeling overexposed. Or is it like a mascot? Are you sworn to secrecy? Something about the girl's tone and interest disarmed him, and he'd spent the rest of the party talking about the series, how it started and his ideas for new issues. In turn, she told Henry of the life she had imagined after college, filling her home with her own artwork and earning enough from the pieces she'd made to build a sun porch and greenhouse. She listened and spoke with such an open face that Henry thought he could talk with her like that every night. And he did, summoning some unknown courage to ask her out the next day and dating her through the rest of his time at college. By Henry's senior year, his comic series gained a cult following. Not just college students, families with kids, and older couples who found stray volumes at the coffee shops all got hooked. Henry's stories grew in popularity as a spider web of readers developed, densest in the Midwest, but with threads reaching out as far as the coast. The Milwaukee Shadow Monster thrilled online of communities of comic fans and stoked the interest of casual readers intrigued by the Twilight Zone vibe. The local bookshop set up a window display dedicated to Henry's books. Check out our hometown haunt. A sign read, The creator of the Milwaukee Shadow Monster shops here. Read another. The support was more than Henry could hoped. There was something strange happened that tempered his excitement a twin reality that Henry lived alongside the comic's success. Often when he wrote, it didn't matter whether it was by hand or on the computer. A searing pain shot through his wrist. The pain took the air out of Henry and made him whimper at the intensity. The hurt came on suddenly, decidedly, not a tired muscle, and he would have given up his work through the night holding an ice pack to his arm or massaging his hand. Each time, Henry would wait for the pain to pass and then pick back up, unnerved but undeterred. Shortly after graduating, Henry married Keeley, and she made quick work of warming their home with handmade art, clay vases, and watercolor landscapes. Henry's, was a favorite, Henry's favorite was a pair of portraits she had painted, larger than life-size profiles of Henry's face and hers. The portraits hung in the dining room, watching over the couple as they unpacked dishes and shared makeshift dinners. Slowly settling in, 
The first real piece of mail came to the pair in their new home was from a Midwest literary society. The group highlighted up-and-coming writers, and Henry's work caught their eye. The society nominated Milwaukee Shadow Monster for Horror Fiction Award and invited Henry and a guest to attend the award ceremony later that month. When the night arrived, Henry dressed up in a surprisingly sharp second-hand suit and rubbed his sweaty palms on his knees as he waited for his category. Keeley suggested that he take a quick walk when he couldn't keep his leg from bouncing under the table. On his return loop, Henry caught a glimpse of the table of polished awards behind a curtain, a series of bronze figures glinting in the light that spilled from the stage. As he walked back to Keeley, he couldn't help but picture the awards sitting on a bookshelf beside a growing row of his own books. The image overshadowed every other thought until at last his category was announced. So much talent to keep an eye out for, but a step above the rest, this year's winner of the most noteworthy horror fiction in the region is Samantha Prescott. A shadow passed over Henry's eyes. He felt embarrassed for having invited Keeley, who smiled beside him. I'm so proud of you. She reached out to hold his face in her hands, her own face half in the shadow and half lit by the glow of tea candles. He wished she weren't there to see him wish he could disappear behind the black curtains at the edge of the room. After the award show, Henry spent the better part of the week sulking around in the house in a ratty robe and repeatedly talking himself out of throwing all of his work in the trash. On the fourth day of Henry's slump, he walked into the kitchen to find a package wrapped in butcher paper sitting on the counter. Henry stilted, his stomach tightening for a reason he couldn't explain. He approached the box where it lay, Late in the afternoon sun, filtered through a tree beside the kitchen window and dappled in the box in a shifting light. He flipped the package over to search for the name or the return address, but found neither. To Henry. A note card read sitting beside the box. Cautiously, he slipped his finger under the paper's edge and tore it away from the box. He pulled the lid with hesitant hands. Inside it was a statuette a gleaming, sharp, angled dupe of the Milwaukee shadow monster. It was a handmade consolation gift from his wife, inspiration to keep going, and it worked. The sleek statue came home with Henry when he set up a writing disc, a desk and rented an office space, Keeley's idea. Henry had quit his job to start a publishing company, finding an agent and turning in his comics into a full-fledged series, also Keeley's idea. From the start, Henry's wife was a constant support, standing in the doorway like a reflection of the Shadow Man statue, the two profiles over Henry's work like twin bookends. With the nuisance of school and his day job over with, Henry was free to become completely absorbed in his stories, only ever surfacing for meals or to stretch his aching wrist. When he wasn't plugging away at the rented office, he was editing in his den late into the night. His absorption into the Milwaukee shadow monster meant that he was, it was always on his mind. He often scared himself, imagining he saw the monster's whippling silhouette pass him in the upstairs hallway or drift outside the window to the backyard. One night, when stepping away from a story for a glass of water, Henry walked into the moonlit dining room and froze like a child. 
at the side of the figure's face traveling across the dining room wall. The shadow passed over the portrait of Henry and then hovered over Keeley's portrait, darkening her features with its own. Henry gasped to see the shadow linger. He blinked and the shadow appeared darker and closer, its head and its shoulders now joined by an outstretched arm grasping in Henry's direction. He blinked again and the shadow was gone. Almost as quickly as Henry's comics gained attention, public interest in his work waned. Inexplicably, the number of bought copies dropped and Henry was gripped with a sudden panic that everything would end when there was still more to be written, still more for him to become. Meanwhile, Keeley's art seemed to thrive. Henry envied Keeley for how easy her work had come to her. She could set out painting or sculpting without agonizing about the direction the place would take. She didn't stare or pace for hours. She just put her hands to something and the picture or pot took shape. As much as Henry celebrated her success, her love, his love for her was shaded by jealousy. But Keeley was the ultimate support for Henry when the publishing company support failed. Together, they cleaned out the rented office and moved everything back to the house. Henry's desk lamp, the statuette, and boxes and boxes of stories. They piled it all on the floor of the living room for the time being. Amid the stacks of comics, the shadow man figurine looked to Henry like a tiny sentinel guardian in the ruins of a worthless setting, worthless city. The publishing company folding was for the best, Henry told himself. It had coincided with an especially bad flare-up of the carpal tunnel or whatever kept seizing in his wrist whenever he worked on the series. He would appreciate the chance for his hand to heal, but not before he finished one last project. It wasn't anything meant to be published, but a birthday gift for Keeley, a handmade comic for his mixed-media artist. The comic took more out of Henry than any story he could remember, but he wanted to impress Keeley to show her that she had been right to believe in his work. It was the most inventive comic he had attempted, and the most personal. Every fear he had about supporting Keeley, and every uncertainty that ghosted his thoughts, the mystery of what lay ahead, all of it. Henry repurposed for the story. For the first time, Henry wrote through the pain when it came. He channeled into the comic, into the story, and every image cross-hatched to pure black. He gave the comic to Keeley over quite birthday dinner for two. The pair had finished a meal in the dining room when Henry surprised her with the gift by the light of her cake. She unwrapped the book and gently running her fingers over the gold foil title, Henry took out a flashlight and lit an inky dark page from below. Slowly, the Milwaukee shadow monster's severe features bloomed on the page. Keeley was mesmerized and spent all evening reading the story aloud to Henry, waving a light over the thick pages and gasping in disbelief as the hidden images rose up. Henry smiled easy that night. This is why he kept at it for so long, for the love and for the fun of it, to share a part of himself with someone who really saw him. You've been listening to Fear Falls Radio Theater. Join us again next time for more suburban suspense under the Midwest moon.
From the Dipsy Doodle Studios at the world headquarters of Big D Entertainment, a 40-square-foot home studio in the middle of America, it's Dave Holly. Thanks again to my great guest, Mo Hurley, and the Fear Falls cast of Emily Wilson, Marisa Moser, and Sean Shannon II. And of course, thank you for listening, downloading as we make our way toward 15K, sharing and following on social media, and those lovely cups of coffee. If you haven't so far, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And for all 192 episodes, go online, DavePollyHour.com. As the Sioux Falls Arts Council says, together we art. As Arts South Dakota says, home is where the art is. As I say, put some art in your heart. Remember, my name is Dave Holly, and for me, every day is a holiday. The Dave Holly Hour has been brought to you by TJS Ceramics, Posh Boutique, The Sky in Tea, XL Chiropractic, Quality Nails, Jesse Moffat Entertainment, and Sonny's Pizzeria. If you would like to contribute to the continued success of this podcast, simply buy Dave a cup of coffee. Go to DaveHollyHour.com and look for a coffee cup icon in the lower left. The Dave Holly Hour is produced in the Dipsy Doodle Studios by Big D Entertainment. Thanks for listening.